sure this can keep up with me, and it can. Uh, Interesting about the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, is one of the longest in Scripture sort of uh, laid out in a row statements on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, It was instrumental to my own salvation. There's a line in there. I'm not going to get it uh, today, but uh, whenever I have the microphone, I like to be able to say whatever I want. But uh, when we get to a little bit later in, there's a verse that says, um, I was the least among us because I was the chief of sinners. And he says, even, even, even though I was this, the greatest sinner that you've ever seen, I was the greatest sinner since sliced bread, even though I was the one who persecuted the church of God, who killed Christians, who was just a really bad guy, still, by the grace of Christ, I am what I am. And that grace within me was not without effect. And I love that verse uh, because even though I became a Christian when I was about four years old, I didn't really know Jesus and had that relationship with him uh, until I was a lot older. Uh, as a kid, I knew all the right Bible verses to, to re- recite, and I knew the, the, the uh, songs that you sung, and I knew exactly how to be a Christian and, and, and how to fake it. But it wasn't until a lot later on that I realized that Christ's grace within me was not without effect. And so whenever I get a chance, especially on a, on a Resurrection Sunday, whenever I get a chance to, to say, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, the grace of Jesus Christ can radically change your life. It doesn't matter the sin that's been in your past because it is in the past. By the grace of God, you have been forgiven and accepted and redeemed into the family of God. And that is what I love about our faith, that you and I together are a family. And going to Families, I'm not sure if you've got a family, but you don't always get on. You don't always like the same music, as my mother tells me often. And I have to be careful because my mother watches the live streams, and every time I say something about my mother, she comments. But I listen to, I'm I'm not sure if you, you know this about me, I listen to heavy metal Finnish symphonic music, symphonic metal. I know, I know, some of you look at me and you say, no, really, you're such a young... A nice young person. That's the type of music I like to listen to. I enjoy it. It might not be your cup of tea. And that's okay. As the family of God, it doesn't matter. Because what's important is that you and I can worship him in spirit and in truth whenever we get together as family. And that's just an amazing thing. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. And this is what God's word says. Now I would remind you brothers, and that brothers uh, is actually the Greek word for brothers and sisters. It actually just means family. It means you and me together as the family of God. I remind you brothers of the gospel I preach to you which you have received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that's just an amazing statement. I preach to you what I also received. Uh, You can listen to me. You can trust me. You can believe in me. Uh, This is what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And if you were here uh, on Friday night, we had a Good Friday service here where we went out into the gym and we went through different prayer stations based around the seven final words of Jesus on the cross. And there are words that he said on the cross that he said that were based on scripture. 
When Jesus on the cross said, uh, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the Bible. Did you know that? All of you might know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures, etc., etc. I guarantee if you've been in the church longer than six months, you have a coffee cup or a bumper sticker or you know Psalm 23. What a lot of Christians don't know is that Psalm 22, right the one before it, begins with the words, my God, my God, why have you forgotten me? Goes on as a prophetic psalm that actually says that my hands and my feet were pierced. Which is interesting because when that psalm was written, crucifixion hadn't been invented yet. And so what Paul says right here, right off the bat, he says that what is of first importance I wanted to give to you. He wants to give to you what is of first importance, that Christ died in accordance with the Scripture. And thank God that he doesn't end his sentence there. He doesn't move on because there's more. He says then in verse 4 that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day... What happened? What happened on the third day? Okay, so if you're new here and you haven't heard me preach before, that's okay. Welcome. I love you. However, a little bit of an egomaniac, I like to know that you're listening to me. I like to know that the Word of God is doing something. And so I like you to say amen, hallelujah, whenever the feeling gets to you, whenever you feel the prompting of the Spirit to, to let you agree with me, that's fine. Shout out amen if something hits you because in doing so, it actually clicks and registers in your brain. He said something good. Amen. It helps you to remember it. It's a memory technique. It has nothing to do with my ego, I promise you. Amen. There we go. For what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried in the tomb, that within three days he rose. And what's those words? In accordance with the Scriptures. And so today, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Is that okay with you? That on this day of all days, we can talk just a little bit about the resurrection? Because Paul says that it's of first importance. He said, this is, look, there's a lot of things that are important in your life. Friends are important in your life. Family are important in your life. Relationships are important in your, in your life. Uh, working hard and being good at your job and earning an income and supporting your family is good in your life. But he says none of that is of first importance. What is of first importance in the life of everyone who believes in Jesus are these two things, that he died and that he was raised. In that is the most important thing about the faith that we practice, that Jesus Christ died and for our sins and that he was raised. Uh, it's not one or the other, it's both in tandem. And a lot of the times what we do in, in church, what we do in the Christian faith is we put a lot of emphasis on the death part and we only really talk about resurrection two or three times a year, Right? Let's be honest, we put a lot of focus on the death. A lot of our songs, if you were to pick up a red songbook, which is in, in the back of the pews, or if you look through the, the giant box of songs I have under there, uh, about 80% of them will talk in some way, shape, or form about the death of Jesus. Not all of them will talk about the resurrection. In the songbook there is a resurrection section, so I'm not saying it's not there. But if you're talking about balance, Paul said both were equally important, and both of them were of first importance. And I think what's important about the resurrection, specifically, is that it allows us to stand 
not in our own victory, but in the victory of God. And I think this is important. I think too many Christians walk around life with their heads bound, not trying to make eye contact, afraid to share our faith, afraid to tell people this is the way things are, afraid to tell people that Christ is risen, afraid, 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 don't make eye contact, don't bother anyone, don't let anyone uh, be upset about, about your faith. And yet what Paul says is that the resurrection is of first importance. Because without the resurrection, we've only got half the story. Without the resurrection, you and I are in mourning for the rest of eternity. Because if Christ died without the resurrection, it means that he's still in the ground, which means he's not a savior. It means he's a corpse. So without the resurrection, we only have half a faith. And so what's important on this day is is just to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about the resurrection. And and what you need to know is that that Jesus himself predicted both his death and his resurrection. Here I have a a selection from the Gospel of Luke, which says, uh, says Jesus talking, and he said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. A lot of times you'll hear sermons about Jesus predicting his death. Yeah, he predicted his death. He predicted his death. He also predicted his resurrection. When Jesus said to the the apostles there, he said, the temple is going to be torn down and not a stone is going to remain. He was talking about his death, but he said in three days, guess what's coming? I'm making a curtain call. I'm coming back. I'm making a second appearance. I'm going to be on the scene. And the resurrection is hugely important for what we believe. So the, the quick resurrection story, for those of you that aren't familiar, the disciples are doing what disciples do when Jesus is not around, getting into trouble. That's scriptural. If you don't believe me, I've got Bible verses like Jesus is not around, they get onto a boat, they get into trouble. Right? They do that twice in two different stories. Jesus is not around, they walk around saying, oh, you're a sinner. I don't know what to do with you. And then Jesus comes and goes, no, you forgive them. That's what you do. To like, come on, guys. We've been, to, we've been at this for three years. You should get it. So Jesus has died on the cross. He's been buried in a borrowed tomb. And in that state, the disciples decide that they're going to meet together in a room, and they're scared. Scripture says that they're terrified that they think the Jews are going to come in and finish the job. Yes, they've just killed the leader, but there are still followers. Maybe they're going to come in, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. They're going to come in, and they're going to, to, to finish the job. And so they're terrified, huddling in a room. And on the third day, they hear a knock on the door. It's this chick called Mary. You might have heard of her. She's kind of famous. Mary had been visiting the tomb. She decided that uh, because it was the Sabbath, she wasn't allowed to minister to the body of Jesus. And I'm not sure if you know much about corpses, but after a certain period of time, they kind of start to smell. In fact, it's, it's kind of the three-day rule. It's the same as fish. After three days, it just kind of sinks if it's left out. And so Mary decides that she's going to do honor to the corpse of Jesus, that she's going to go to his body and she's going to anoint him with oil so that it covers the smell so he can have dignity in his death. And she rocks up to the tomb, and guess what? He's gone. Jesus isn't there. The stone is rolled away. The, the guards have fled in absolute terror, and there is no body in the tomb. And so Mary, being Mary, decides that the first person that she needs to let know is the disciples. And so she runs back to Jerusalem. She runs back to this upper room and knock, knock, knock on the door. Disciples. I imagine Peter, with everything that I know of Peter from Scripture, I imagine him opening the door with a little bit of trepidation. 
with a little bit of, uh, forgive the theatrics, but maybe just, uh, who's there? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying he had one of those Arlo little doorbell bell systems so he could see what's going on, but maybe he was peeking out the window to see who was knocking on the door. Because Scripture says that they were terrified that they were going to be killed. And Mary comes into the room and she says, no, he's gone. He's up. He's, he's, the, 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 the tomb is empty. The guards have fled. The body is gone. We need to go check this out. And so Scripture says that Peter and John ran to the room. And what I love about the Gospel of John, it says that, that John actually outpaced Peter to the grave. I like this, because as much as I make fun of Peter, sometimes in my own spiritual journey, I, I feel a lot like Peter, because there are times when Jesus has laid out a very specific path, and I question it. It's like, God, really? You really want me to do that? Are you sure you want me to do that? Jesus, are you absolutely certain that you want me to... I, I, you're walking on the water, that's fine. Do you want me to step out of the boat just a little bit and come to you? You say it and I will. Yes, come to me, Peter. Oh, now I actually have to do it. Like sometimes, I don't want to identify with Peter, but sometimes I identify with Peter. And so in this particular passage, uh, in, the, in the Gospel of John, it says that, that Peter was outpaced by John. And so I, I identify with that because I'm not a very fast runner. I'm, I'm a little more of a, a power walker. Uh, if, if you're with me, say amen. Some of you are power walkers, right? Some of, you, some of you aren't going to be running a marathon sprint to the backside of the gym. Now, some of you kids are. When we announce there's going to be Easter eggs, you're going to show me your running shoes. But Peter, not so much. But these guys get to the grave, and you know what they find at the grave? Nothing. That is the best nothing that they've ever found in their life. I was listening to the radio this morning uh, on the way of uh, picking some people up uh, for church, and they, they had this uh, strange person on the radio. I like Christian radio, and I don't like Christian radio. That's a whole other sermon to get there. But there, this, this mother was telling a story about how during Easter time she hides eggs, but when she hides the eggs, she doesn't put anything in them. Like no candy, no prizes, no nothing. Just empty eggs. And she said that she's trained, for lack of a better word, her daughter to, when she opens up the egg, to be excited that there is nothing inside. And that the, when the daughter opens up the egg, she has joy because there's nothing inside, which is the joy that you and I should be feeling at the resurrection. We should feel joy that there is nothing inside the grave, that the tomb is empty because it means Jesus ain't there anymore. It means he stepped out of the grave and he is now in power, Christ the King of the universe. No longer is he the, the humble man and servant that he came, but instead it says in the book of Philippians that he has been uh, given all the glory of God, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is now in that position. The book of Revelation describes Jesus as a tank with a, uh, a white robe that his hem is dipped in blood with a tattoo running up his leg and a tattoo across his back that says, King of King and Lords of Lords. It says that Jesus is in resurrected power with the word of God coming out of his mouth like a sword and there is fire and lightning coming out of his eyes. Too often as Christians, we leave Jesus on the cross on Good Friday and we don't celebrate the resurrection in power that our Christ has conquered the grave for your salvation and for the glory of God. 
And so Peter and John run to the tomb. And I'm not on my sermon notes in any way, so just give this up. Peter and John run to the tomb. They find it empty. And you know what they do? They're afraid. I'm not joking. That terrifies them even more. Because here's a couple of things. Yeah, it could be Jesus. He could be raised from the dead. He could be up and moving around. Or maybe those guards stole the body. Maybe they didn't want a cult to form around the death and resurrection of Jesus, so they stole the body and it's gone. And so Peter and John retreat back to that room where the, where the other disciples are huddled and terrified. And Jesus being Jesus. I like Jesus. He's got a little bit of style. The doors are locked, and it seems that Jesus just appears among them. We, we don't really get more scripture details than that, which is a little bit annoying to me. I'm a details person. I like to know the ins and outs of a story. But scripture just replies that he was there among them. And I don't know what that was like for the disciples. I sort of imagined the disciples in a big group, sort of uh, uh, sitting, maybe even sitting around a table or, or sitting in a group in some way, just sort of brainstorming. Maybe they've got that, uh, that notepad paper on the wall. They're like, all right, what are we going to do now? Number one, don't get killed. Number two, go into hiding. Number three, don't get killed. Right? Some of the disciples read scripture. Some of them were not too bright. I'm just saying that's not me. That's not an opinion. That's scriptural. Some of them, interesting, interesting frame of references here. And it says that Jesus appeared among them. Can you imagine what that would be like? Peter is sitting there. I imagine he's leading the group in group discussion. James, James, calm down. John was just about to say something. And then he looks and there's Jesus just sitting there. Maybe he checks to see if he has a fever. Maybe he checks to see if uh, maybe he needs his glasses and prescription changed. Because I'm not going to lie. If I take these off, can't see a single one of you. Fantastic for preaching. If ever I get nervous, I take my glasses off. Fear goes away. Can't see you. You're a bunch of burnt orange pews. And that hurts. But Peter, looking around, sees Jesus. And Jesus is there. You know what Jesus says? Peace be with you. Because when the tomb is empty, you and I can live in perfect peace. Because of Jesus. You and I don't have to fear the world anymore. You and I don't have to fear our, uh, our, the consequence of our sin. Now listen, I don't want you to hear me saying that means you can go out and do whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, uh, yes, you've been forgiven of your sin, but do not continue sinning that grace may abound. He says that once you know the, right, the, the, the correct right from wrong, don't do wrong anymore. It's kind of simple. But can you imagine the peace that you get when you realize that you should have been sentenced to hell for your sin but instead, through the grace of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, you get to spend eternity in His presence. That's what the empty tomb is about. That's what our salvation is about. Giving glory to God through our salvation. I've said this time and time again. I'm going to say it again and over and over and over again. God did not save you from your sins because you were fantastic. God did not save you from your sins because you were so star-spangled awesome that God couldn't go through eternity without you. That's not the primary reason he saved you. The reason he saved you has, believe it or not, nothing to do with you. The one reason or the number one reason that God saved you was to bring glory and honor to his name. 
that you would spend eternity with him as part of his family is an added bonus. But scripture over three to four hundred times again and again says that the reason that God does stuff is to bring glory to his own name. It says that God raised up Abraham to bring glory to his name, that Joseph went into captivity in Egypt to bring glory to his name, and that God raised him up to the second highest place in the land for the glory of his name, that they were left in captivity for 400 years for the glory of his name, that they were brought out of that captivity for the glory of his name, that they wandered in the wilderness and learned more about his nature and character for the glory of his name, that they went into the promised land and captured it for the glory of his name, that they built the temple of God for the glory of his name, that God sent in the Assyrians and the Babylonians to raise the city of Jerusalem to the ground for the glory of his name, that the Israelites were taken into captivity for the glory of his name, that they were returned from captivity for the glory of his name, and that they, for the next 400 years, would not hear the voice of God so that when Jesus Christ was sent, it would be for the glory of his name and that you and I would be able to look at Jesus and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For the glory of his name. Your salvation is fantastic news for you. But it does something else. It glorifies God. Because when someone looks at you, they see what you were before Jesus. And then they see what you are after Jesus. There's no earthly way that you could do that by yourself. Your salvation attracts people to God and brings glory to his name. And the reason, the reason that you and I can enjoy eternity with Jesus is because that tomb was empty. And Jesus appears to the disciples and says, peace be with you. There's more to this story. Jesus ministers then on earth for another period of time and then ascends into heaven. And then the disciples go forth and they spread the word of God and they spread the name of Jesus to the entire corners of the known world. And listen, all of them but one die horribly. I'm not here to sugarcoat anything. Sometimes... What God asks you to do is going to end horribly for you, right? Peter gets crucified upside down. Paul gets beheaded in, Chris, uh, in, in prison. Uh, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, uh, he gets uh, severely beaten, dragged behind a chariot until he's dead. Um, John, the old one, uh, the elder, uh, was boiled alive in oil, but he survived which freaked the Romans out so much they put him on the island of Patmos and said, we don't want to deal with you anymore, right? Following Jesus might not end great for you, but I guarantee one thing, following Jesus is going to end great for the glory of God, which should be the primary focus of every single Christian. In the Protestant Reformation, there was a guy called Martin Luther, and he came up with these five catchphrases that was going to define the Christian movement for the next, until now. And the very final one was solo deo gloria, to the glory of God alone, that everything happens, that everything we do, everything we say, uh, how we live should be to the glory of God. He didn't invent that, it comes from scripture. 
where scripture says no matter what you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. You and I can live our lives through the power of the resurrection and the indwelling nature of the Holy Spirit to glorify God. And that's good news, right? So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to close in one of the songs that we sung earlier. This is Amazing Grace. We're going to sing that song, we're going to close, and then afterwards we're going to have the Easter egg hunt. But this is what I want you to do from this point on. I want you to live your life in such a way that it brings glory and honor to God. I want you to live such a li- your life in such a way that people look at you and notice the difference. I want you to live your life in a way that you know that the tomb is empty. Woo! Live your life in victory in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's get some song singing. I don't know what I did. Okay. All right. This is amazing, yeah. All right, here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready, Mommy? Nope.